open your cerebral cortex and shift your lobes into upper beta phase because you are going to have Bitcoin knowledge transmitted directly into your vestibulocochlear. Your host of Bitcoin Knowledge is Trace Mayer, an early Bitcoin advocate since it cost a quarter, but this is not intended to be investment advice. A doctor of jurisprudence, but this is definitely not legal advice. And an investor in core cryptocurrency infrastructure, including Armory, BitPay, Kraken, and Mitagio, but this is not a recommendation of those services. Here, you get fed via direct mind download with pure and free Bitcoin knowledge. Welcome back to the Coin Knowledge Podcast. Uh, we have a very fun interview today. Uh, it seems a lot of people just really enjoyed, uh, like when we had David Tice from the Prudent Bear Fund on, talking about Wall Street and investment, uh, and also John Urbino, author of uh, The Money Bubble and the Collapse of the Dollar, just talking about the general economic environment, the all the trading opportunities. So I figured we'd, we'd do something a little bit different. Instead of you know interviewing... Uh, specifically on like somebody's business or what they're working on. Instead, let's uh, instead talk about the overall macroeconomic picture, the Bitcoin specific news for the week, and then uh, also some of the trading uh, fundamentals and technicals. So to help me out with that, uh, we have Kevin Zhao. Uh, welcome to the podcast, Kevin. Hey Trace, how's it going? Great. Now you you'd actually done some of this work uh, when you were over at Buttercoin as their chief economist, right? Yeah, that's right. So you know, every week I'd uh, publish a little blog post about you know what's going on in the week, um, how the markets look, you know, just some of my thoughts. Yeah, just you know some of the fun stuff. So let's uh, let's dig right in, like. You know, the the big picture, we've had China and the currency devaluation. Uh, maybe you could go in a little bit on how you think uh, this applies just to the, the global economy and then a little bit about how it applies to Bitcoin specifically. Yeah, so, you know, I think, um, you know, with this recent devalue, uh, the whole point of it, I think, is to keep exports up in China. You know, recently the stock market also crashed over there and uh, the government's, um, I think, a little bit worried uh, that there might be um, you know, let's say like riots or, or protests on the streets. So, you know, since the stock market's going down, um, a lot of people are getting disgruntled. And at the same time, um, you know, with, with a strong yuan, um, exports aren't going to be uh, as good as they hope. So I think, you know, they, they want to export some of their troubles out um, of China. And, uh, you know, the, the devaluation was very modest. It, it really wasn't that much. Um, but it's sort of a signal of maybe things to come. And um, if that's really the route that China wants to go, then, um, you know, in some ways, uh, all the other countries in the world, um, they either have to join China in that sort of uh, devaluation race, or, you know, they can uh, just accept the fact that, you know, um, their exports are going to suffer. So uh, I think, um, you know, since everything's really globalized right now, um, most economies in the world aren't really doing that hot. So, you know, if it's a matter of sort of uh, exporting the protests from your own country away to a, to a different country, um, I think a lot of governments will do that. So if we get into this sort of cycle where, you know, China's devaluing and then let's say India joins them, you know, a whole bunch of other countries join them, um, then it seems to me that the way it would affect Bitcoin and, any, you know, any precious metal sort of like commodity money uh, would be that 
the, you know, those would be the things that would gain in value. And, uh, you know, all, fiat paper uh, across the world would, you know, just lo- lose value uh, in this sort of like trade war kind of cycle. Um, no, so, uh, you know, it's, it's not that you know, definitely going to happen or anything, but it's just, you know, it's just a thought. I mean, if it, if it did go that direction, um, you know, the likelihood of Bitcoin going up would probably be pretty big. Yeah, so we got this kind of backdrop, you could say, of uh, de-dollarization happening by the major countries out there, and then everybody engaging in their own versions of quantitative easing and just uh, rampant monetization of the debt. And do you you think that China uh, took this, this flash crash that happened on the Dow as an opportunity to sell U.S. treasuries? Because I think they, they sold something like $100 billion of U.S. treasuries in the past week. Do you think that they, they've, they're kind of taking advantage of, of just the general market volatility and turmoil to uh, get themselves out of the dollar? Yeah, you know, as I understood it, um, what happened was that when they devalued the yuan, um, it further slid uh, in the market to a point where um, they thought it actually had become a little too over devalued and they they sold the US treasuries as a way to sort of defend the yuan after they were the ones who sort of started uh uh the devaluation. So uh that's how I understood it. Um but yeah, I mean I think you know the general trend of de-dollarization um has been happening, you know, especially from um from China. I mean they're, they're, I guess they're sort of realizing that they t- they took on so much like US debt become like decorrelated de- with the state of the US. Like if they if they really want to grow and upseat the U.S. at some point. Um, that's something that they have to that they have to do eventually, right? So I think they're just sort of getting started uh, on that now. I mean, it's just very fascinating because so much of the Bitcoin economy is actually tied over to China, and and we'll get to that a little bit later. Uh, but you know, volatility. We've we've also seen a lot of volatility in Bitcoin, and I think some of this might have to do with the fundamentals. Uh, this Bitcoin blockchain size block debate thing. Can you maybe give us a little bit of a an overview? Like, what's happening here in terms of the fundamentals with this Bitcoin proposed fork and block size debate and just all of this uh, noise? I don't know if there's too much signal yet, but uh, like, what do what do you? Yeah, you know, what's on that going note, on here. You know, I, I think you know with that, uh, you know, with the stock. Market's crashing, and uh, you know the 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 yuan devalue. Um, you know, if it, if it wasn't for the fact that Bitcoin was in civil war, we might have even seen the price go up. You know, but uh, you know, right now it's just you know, it really is in in some ways civil war. I mean, you have a lot of these really talented people, you know, core developers. All of them just disagree with each other. Um, you know, brilliant in their own right, but nevertheless, they can't come to any any sort of consensus and i think it's kind of funny that you know maybe these these bankers now uh folks on folks on the street um they're uh you know having a good laugh that you know our our, our experiment you know about like decentralization you know we're, we're finding it hard right now to, to reach consensus in the community so um you know they'll have a laugh uh i think everything will you know get resolved out but you know right now it's sort of uh, just this debate on, you know, what first of all, whether or not we should lift the block size. And then given that we should, um, how do we do it? You know, do you have these blocks that, let's say, according to BIP uh, 101, you know, they double um, every couple of years or after a set amount of time? Or, you know, BIP you know, 100, um, where, 
you know, blocks can, there's no real hard cap uh, except for the, oh, I think, I think the hard cap is maybe like 32 megabytes, but basically miners get to choose and sort of vote with their hashing power on what they want the, the block size cap to be. You know, there's a lot of um, debate on like what's the best way. And those are, you know, those BIP 100 and 101 are just, you know, two of the uh, sort of the most popular uh, Bitcoin improvement protocols. But, you know, you also have like 102 and 103 and a whole bunch of other ones that I don't, I don't even think have been specified as uh, BIPs. Um, for example, like 102 would be that we just, you know, raise the block size cap to two megabytes uh, from one megabyte and then, uh, you know, kick the can down the road, maybe have another hard fork later uh, once we uh, run up against that limit. So a, a BIP, like, what exactly is that? I mean, why does that even matter in the in this whole discussion? To, to Bitcoin and, and the block size debate, um, it's that, you know, these blocks are starting to get really full and, uh, you know, they're limited to uh, one megabyte in size. So in order for us to have more transactions per second on the blockchain, for it to really be um, a payments mechanism um, a medium of exchange, uh, you know, seven transactions a second uh, really, really doesn't cut it. I mean, compared to like Visa, MasterCard that are doing, I don't know, was it thousands or something like that? So, um, you know, there's that question. Um, and what the BIP is, so the BIP is, um, it's short for Bitcoin Improvement Proto- uh, Protocol. And, uh, you know, there have been a number of them in the past. And it's basically a way for people to suggest and to spec out um, you know, a way to improve Bitcoin. And uh, there have been a lot of proposals so far uh, from, you know, everything from, you know, whether or not we can have dust transactions uh, in the network, as in what's the smallest um, amount of Bitcoin that you can send that'll be accepted by the miners, uh, you know, to other things, um, security-related things, to, you know, how big the block size should be. So all of these things are basically suggestions on how to improve uh, Bitcoin. Yeah, because I mean, this is the—it's not like we can do a a golden a gold improvement uh, procedure and make gold like extensify gold and change its uh, actual structure and how it works and make it more uh, useful. Uh, for example, Alan Reiner and Greg Maxwell worked on hierarchical deterministic wallets, and I think that became one of the particular BIPs. And then uh, HD wallets and multi-signature mm-hmm. and pay to script, like these, have all gone through this. BIP process, which is a way for all the developers to kind of hash out, like no pun intended, right, right. hash out the uh, the argument. And so I guess what's interesting about this block size debate is that uh, Gavin and Mike never really created a BIP at all. Uh, ju- I mean, just very recently did Jeff Garzik uh, create, I think, what is it, BIP 100, uh, which is getting a lot of the support. But it, it's just kind of interesting that, you know, with a fundamental change to the protocol, right. you know, the, the developers have been going through this BIP process for seven years now, six, seven years. And yet, like Gavin and Mike want to just release software that hasn't been tested and hasn't been proven and haven't had significant stimula- simulations run on it they just want to like release that out well they have released it out into the wild and uh it, it's just different from how the process has worked in the past uh do you think that that's like adding confusion to the people looking in from the outside like all the bankers kind of looking in from the outside like oh man look at all these cats trying to get herded 
So yeah, I, I definitely think the uh, the confusion really hurts the price. I mean, it, maybe it's at some point, you know, if, if we could come to any sort of uh, consensus, um, w- you know, regardless of which way it went, the I think the price would start to stabilize out, maybe go back up. Um, and I think you know with you know with this whole block size debate, I, I also feel like there's a lot of mixed conflicts of interest. You know, with with the uh, folks in industry right now, all the exchanges and merchant processors support larger blocks because you know it helps their business. Um, you know, more blocks means you know more merchants. It becomes more viable as a payment mechanism, and then also uh, for the exchanges, more volume for them. Uh, at the same time, you know, you have folks like Blockstream who are very much in favor of um, you know keeping the block size small or being less heavy-handed in, in its increase because you know it makes their business more viable too, right? Because they can do a whole bunch of stuff on side chains um, that wouldn't be possible uh, on on the the Bitcoin uh, core protocol. So you know, on on one hand, there's a lot of intellectual disagreements, but also from an incentive standpoint, people have a lot of uh, conflicts of interest on you know. There might be some. It might call the question why some people support one side versus the other. Um, so, you know, this whole thing has been a messy affair, and it really is um, civil war in, in, in Bitcoin right now. Yeah, is is increasing the block size really the, the salvo though? Uh, like Peter Woolley just put out, Doctor Woolley just put out, uh, like a kind of a innovation in the math where you can fit nine thousand times as much. Uh, data or what, whatever it is into the same size of a block. Couldn't a lot of these businesses just actually figure out creative or clever or innovative ways to use the current block size without just immediately running and raising the cap, which c- comes with its yeah, I guess, set of costs, yeah. you know, because miners yeah. have to store it, bandwidth has to transfer it, it uh, makes it less usable for the individuals to be running full nodes if we had 20 gigabyte blocks or 20 megabyte blocks or whatever size uh, we want to make like uh, wouldn't it wouldn't it make more sense to and and is it even ripe Uh, because it seems like only half of the blocks are uh, being used right now you know only about 500 uh, half a meg so it's it's is it even a ripe issue that has to be decided right now yeah you know maybe you're right i mean maybe it's something that we don't, maybe we don't even need to deal with, right? But, um, you know, I, I think, you know, it's, it's for me, it's, it's, you know, I think for some, you know, some folks have brought this up. It's, it's not really a matter of whether or not, you know, the block is this size or that size. I mean, in the end, to have a functioning fee market, the real question is whether or not the blocks are full in the end game, right? So that there can be a competitive and healthy fee market. And I think that's still left up you know, in the air. And I, I don't think we're going to get to anything conclusive there uh, for a while. Um, whether the block is actually 2, 4, or 17 megabytes or whatnot, I mean, you know, it's just, it's a temporary thing about whether or not we want Bitcoin to be a medium of exchange in the immediate term. In the long term, whether or not it proves out to be a store of value, um, I think still depends on if the blocks are full or not. So it's like it's more like a Boolean question, right? Is it full or is it not? Rather than what is the actual size? What is the actual cardinal size of the block? Yeah. So I mean, it's just it's just a fascinating uh, debate and industry because we've never really seen this happen before, right? Like in any mm-hmm. other industry. Yeah. I mean, in, in some ways, you know, once we're through all this, I think we're going to all be better for it. 
and at least we'll know you know how consensus was finally reached uh, in in a protocol completely decentralized where you know it does actually seem hard right I don't know. I, I I think we'll see. I think I think we'll see what happens. <laughs> well, I th- I think that's the general reaction from most people. Yeah. Just, just a sigh and a, I don't know. It makes it kind of fun though, right? Um, oh yeah. You know. Just, oh, fascinating stuff though. Even even just the discussion is very fascinating. I just wish that we'd come to some sort of consensus quicker. That's all. Yeah, and and it's not. And at least, you know, me looking at it, I don't want some rash decision made. Uh, I want it to be very thought out from every angle. The last thing we need is to have, uh, like, Mike Hearn's first commit to Bitcoin caused a hard fork. Uh, Fortunately, Dr. Woolley fixed it uh, within a, you know, a very short amount of time, but the price still crashed over 30, 40% just in a matter of an hour or two. And, you know, that's the last type of thing we need is some hasty, untested, unsimulated, not solid computer science or technology, especially when there's warnings from, you know, multiple PhDs and in these very complicated technical subjects saying, hey, this is a bad idea. As an investor, I mean, I just kind of look at it. I'm like, uh, I think we need more engineering and less noise and less politicking and less posturing. Because <laughs> it's because because these are these are tough issues that that the industry is dealing with, right? And yeah, absolutely. But you know, it, get, it gets even messier when the engineers are the ones that are starting to politic because they have their own interests, um, you know, at stake uh, in you know the companies that they've joined. So you know that 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 gets a bit messy too. But no, I I, I agree that it really should be based on you know reasoning, first principles, and you know just the real hardcore. Um, technical analysis of, of what's you know what's really going on, what's really at stake. It, so it, it makes you it makes you wonder like what was it like in those early days of Google or eBay or Amazon or PayPal? You know, like what mm-hmm. what were some of the really tough decisions that had to get made, and like how those decisions get made? <laughs> because yeah. you know here it's all. All the laundry is hanging out for everybody to see, right? <laughs> right. right, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, so switching gears, uh, what about you know what about the current price? Like, why do you think why do you think the price is kind of humming along where it's at? And every time it it seems to want to go lower, it it seems to just bounce back pretty resiliently. Uh, have we hit a bottom? Like, what's going on? Nobody really knows, but uh, you know, I, I think that we're pretty close to the marginal cost of actually uh, minting a coin, and I think that's Im- important because uh, you know these days a lot of these big miners have engaged in um, you know they, they've sold uh, futures contracts, let's say maybe like a month out or three months out, and they have these obligations to basically you know, pay out Bitcoin uh, sometime in the future. And I think that there's sort of this miner's put, right, where it's like, you know, if the price goes, you know, sufficiently down, at some point the miner is going to realize that it's more worthwhile for him to just buy coins in the market to fulfill his future obligation than it is for him uh, to continue mining uh, at a loss. So there's always some sort of this floor, you know, for, for you know that the miners are sort of supporting. Uh, for the ones that are engaging on all these uh, uh, futures contracts, 
So, and, and, you know, since miners are moving more towards futures contracts, because it makes more sense for them, right? I mean, all their costs are in electricity, and it takes some time to, to, to mine out the coin. You know, why not hedge off, uh, you know, the volatility in the middle? Uh, it totally makes sense for them to be selling these futures. Uh, but, you know, as a result of this, um, it also gives some sort of, you know, bottom floor uh, to the spot market, because miners can just buy it up in the market if it's cheaper than uh, what they're producing the coin at. Well, I mean, we've seen we see a similar dynamic in the gold markets, uh, but just because you know, just because somebody's willing to, uh, just because it costs a hundred thousand dollars to dig a hole in the ground, doesn't mean that whatever you got out of that hole is worth a hundred thousand dollars to the market. So, mm-hmm. I mean, the the assertion's not necessarily that uh, the like the the cost theory of value, but instead right. you're you're saying that oh the, i'm not a communist i don't really believe in the labor theory of value the, the but, labor theory of value so yeah so, but, so you're uh, talking about but the, yeah i think um the, like the time value of money and uh and, and dealing more with regulating production over time through the interest rate of bitcoin and this is beginning to get developed out in the forwards and futures markets is that kind of what we're talking about Yes, sort of. So I guess what I'm saying is that, you know, regardless of whether or not it's actually a good idea to convert electricity into these cryptographic tokens, um, the fact is is if it's profitable. Well, yeah, the market definitely, yeah, the market, the market definitely says it is, and I think you know the market's probably right uh, most of the time. Um, I I guess what I'm saying is that uh, for the miners, it's not a matter of you know whether it's a good idea or not. To, to, to convert electricity into these coins. If they have already engaged in these future contracts and they have ob- obligations in the f- future, then you know either they have to mine coin, which may be a good or a bad idea, or they have to buy coin on the market. So because they have those two options, um, they're just going to choose whichever one is cheaper. So give, given a price that just keeps um, you know free-falling, at some point it's just going to be really good for them to just buy it on the market to satisfy their uh, future obligation. So, you know, and I think, you know, going off of that, I mean, it, what it is is that maybe at the, the most fundamental level, like as a numeraire, as a, as a true unit of account, like energy seems like the most fundamental, you know, physical thing to use. And as a way to sort of measure productivity, if we can, you know, use less energy in a process and produce a higher quality good than before or more you know, a higher quantity of goods of the same quality. Um, you know, it seems like productivity has kind of gone up, right? So these these cryptographic tokens that sort of represent energy burned, um, whose replacement cost is actually, you know, that that energy being burned at you know whatever current hashing rate versus difficulty it is, it almost seems like um, it can just serve as like a benchmark or a standard or some type of numeraire upon which like productivity can be based. You know, maybe that's really what the value of Bitcoin is. You know, maybe that's where it's actually deriving its value. Um, and, and you also it's getting a bit abstract and philosophical, but yeah, I think maybe there's something there. I don't know. Well, and and it's not just it's not just energy because energy is difficult to store over time. And you know, even if we're even if we're going to look at energy, we've got you know we've got waves, and those waves are measured in time, and isn't that really what we're trying to what we're trying to deal with is we're trying to regulate production over time and so the numeraire the more we can get it tied to time uh, the more accurate we're going to be able to uh, measure and perform economic calculation 
Yeah, I, I, I think you might be right on that. And I think that the real the real danger, though, is that when we have a numeraire which is you know flawed in some way, you know, it's almost like uh, you know kids in kids in school, you know, they they stop for the test right and they don't really actually learn anything they just like do exactly what they need to do to pass the test and it's it, it may you know the world may be a little bit like that right now right if you think about it like if 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 actually unemployment was the only consideration for a healthy economy there's a lot of ways to get unemployment down right well like war, you could just like a, a great have way. the government have these huge programs which hire people to dig Right, war is a great way, for example. Right, but you know, it's it, it goes back to like a it's a French uh, French economist uh, Frederick Bastiat from I think the 1600s, and uh, he gave this analogy, which is uh, I think it's called the the broken windows fallacy, and it's this idea that you know in a, in a town where um, you know let's say there are a lot of people that are uh, great at fixing windows and that's their line of business you know, to drum up business if you just threw stones on you know through everybody's window and just broke everybody's window um you know surely you know there'd be a lot more work for everybody to do but that isn't true productivity i mean you can't get anything from destroying things yeah it doesn't actually create any additional wealth for society you know how our our capital gets allocated you know and it could get allocated very badly right because the measure in which we base our performance uh you know we base whether or not we're successful is, you know, could be entirely flawed. But maybe, you know, the truest numeraire is, you know, this idea of energy burned or a token representing uh, energy burned with replacement cost of more energy being burned. So, I don't know, maybe, maybe there is something there, you know. Well, something, something fascinating for us to uh, consider on another podcast. Anyways, thanks for, uh, for being with us and putting up with some of our technical difficulties. It seems like one of our internet connections hasn't been very good. Anyways, we've had, we've had Kevin Zhao, former chief economist for Buttercoin, with us to talk about uh, the Bitcoin news and trading for the week of August 23rd through the 29th. Thanks for listening. Be sure to get a copy of the free Bitcoin guide at freebitcoinguide.com. Got a question or suggestion? Record your voice at bitcoin.kn. Don't be shy. To help the show, share bitcoin.kn with friends, post about it on Reddit, and otherwise, spam the interwebs. Your iTunes comments and five-star reviews are very important to us. Please continue tuning in to the Bitcoin Knowledge Podcast, where we release interviews with the top people in the Bitcoin world. Now take some choline and let that Bitcoin knowledge consolidate. 